Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, Thursday, June the 18th, 2020, here on the Mike Abadir Show. Gino Bacola alongside the main man, Mike Abadir. And as that intro says, we generally uh, bounce around, talk a lot of different topics, lots in the sports world. And that'll be the case today, Mike. I know we're going to talk some some football, probably even a little crossover with college football. We'll talk about the Belmont, which was uh, rescheduled for this weekend. We have a couple guests on the line. I'm sure we'll hit on some of the new news in baseball. Um, basketball is finalizing some of their plans as you know they're set to return July the 30th. So tons to discuss today. Yeah, and then there's a lot of drama in the baseball world. Uh, you know, the union, the owners, Commissioner Manfred, they've all kind of come out and sent different messages. There's optimism. Really mixed signals There's that we're hearing from, like, different reports. In the same people. week, we heard it was the like, day. this is not going to happen. And then, and then it's like, it's going to happen. 100% and then, it's, and then not going to happen. And then agents and other players are like... Send, sending out their resumes for other jobs and weird, just like weird things. Yeah, it is really, really bizarre, man. You know, it's just a bizarre year. You know, we can't even say that enough, right? This is this is the final leg of the triple crown, right? The Belmont it's, this weekend. It's the first leg of the it's triple a first crown. leg of the triple crown, and we have many horses. Not my which lifetime, is, man. Really, a ton of horses that are just passing on this race because they're more focused on winning the Kentucky Derby and not even worried about winning like the other uh, jewels of the triple crown. So you'll, you're seeing a lot of horses that should have probably run here or that if they would have run, they would have been, you know, legitimate contenders you know, under 10 to one. I can think of three or four horses and they're going to be running in the bluegrass instead. Cause they think that sets them up better. And we saw a couple of the Baffert horses that got hurt like Nadal um, and Charlatan aren't going to be running. Um, Maxfield's another one who we weren't sure if he was going to run here or maybe the bluegrass, but he's injured also. So, um, it's, it's a field of 10. We're going to have a, probably a pretty heavy favorite in the Belmont too. We're going to talk about that race a little bit. We actually have a couple guests, I think, and I believe one of them's already on the line waiting for us. Yeah. We'll get into the Belmont in a little bit, but first we're going to get back to our bread and butter, which is the national football league, college football, scouting, NFL draft, all that good stuff. We are going to be joined here in about a second with Ryan Roberts with the Dynasty Draft Room. He's also with the NFL Draft Bible. He's also got a really good podcast as well. We'll plug all of that stuff. Ryan, good afternoon. Well, good evening for you back east. How are you, man? I'm good, guys. Hey, Mike, Gino. Appreciate you guys having me on tonight, man. I hope you guys are doing well in your part part of the world. New Jersey's clearing up a little bit, so hoping for the best out here for sure. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what's uh, what's kind of the uh, message like? Mask, no mask, clearing up, going back up again. Uh, you know, how are we looking with the Meadowlands? Is there going to be football there? I know that there's some harness racing going on, but give us a quick take on uh, the Corona situation out there. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like everything's improving. My, my state, you know, as far as where I am in, in South Jersey, it's not quite as bad. You know, New York has hit a lot worse than... Uh, like Pennsylvania, Philly has been. So I, I, I feel like I was never in like a crazy amount of, you know, uh, um, terrible situations. But, well, you know, we're trying to get back, man. It's, uh, you know, they, they're starting to 
lift restrictions a lot. The 22nd, I think they're opening for some outside bar seating and whatnot. So, you know, trying to get back to some form of normalcy. It's still not near where it needs to be, but it, it seems like everything is kind of headed in the right direction here. Yeah. Now, on that note, let's let's kind of uh, bring bring football into the uh, view view here. Uh, real quick, Dr. Mike. Let me, jump, let me jump. I want a question. I want to ask a question. Real quick. Oh yeah. Before. Go ahead. What? So give us your like as someone who does what you do. Like what? What right now? Like what is your year like? You, we just had the draft not too long ago, and I'm sure that's kind of when everything ramps up for for you. But what is like? What's your your? What are you doing right now from a scouting perspective? Is it starting back over now? You're looking already deep into next year. Do you take a little time off? Are you like folk? Do you focus a little on the NFL at all, or is it all? Um, just get, just set us up a little bit exactly like what you do on your end for some of the folks out there who, who wouldn't know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so Mike, you, you knowing Rick, you know, that, uh, he is all, all, uh, all gas, all pedal all the time. So we, uh, you know, <laughs> we didn't get much of a break and that, I mean, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, we yeah. are, as soon as the draft ended, we're right into 2021. We've already compiled an amazing database of players. I've been scouting. I mean, I think we already have a hundred early scouting reports for 2021. So no breaks here, man. It's uh, it's honestly a joy to be able to just break down film, watch football, you know, all year round. So I, I feel like it's, it's not really a thing that I need to take a step back from. Maybe it's my young age right now, but I, I'm fresh. I'm ready to go, man. And we're, we're moving straight forward to 2021 right now. Okay. So, you know, with, with all that in mind, you know, we didn't have, I was just going to say, junior pro days would carry on a greater importance than ever before. But there weren't a mm-hmm. junior, junior pro days, okay? In light of what Dr. Fauci said yesterday, I don't know if you heard it or not, but he said that football really, really should only be played this year if it's in a bubble situation, a la the NBA, where it's in one centralized location like Orlando, and everything that's there is geared towards the basketball season, the players, the coaches, the media, et cetera. I mean, you know, you and I were co-guests on a show a couple months ago for All Access Football, and I brought it up then. I'm going to bring it up now. Are we going to have mm-hmm. a season this year based on what's going on? I'm, 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 I'm remaining hopeful. Um, it, there is definitely things that pop up, it seems, on a daily basis that are very – Hit or miss. So, I mean, if I'm being a more practical person looking at it from a larger scope, I think there are still a ton of questions kind of worked through here. I would say I think NFL is a lot more likely than college football um, as far as being delayed or not being played at all. I think the NFL will find a way to to pick up the pieces and keep going. It's going to be a really interesting conversation, though, if, if it heads that way where college football is delayed where it is reduced or it doesn't happen at all in the scout, not only in the scouting community, but in all of college football, how they're going to kind of work through that. So for me, I, I, I'm, I'm remaining hopeful, man. Hopeful, man. I, I uh, you know, and missing football right now. I think the NFL is, I don't want to say a safe bet, but I think it's a better bet than a full college football season right now. Sure. But this ties really directly into Gino's question, right? Which is, you know, what you do on a daily basis. How are you going about it, though, <laughs> with these juniors or even like the draft eligible, you know, sophomores that would be going into their draft eligible junior years? Guys that you have maybe limited film, guys like Joe Burrow, who, you know, if, if you don't have a season this year, you don't find out about that number one overall pick quarterback wise. 
how right. are you approaching this? You know, like I said, there's no junior pro days conducted. You know, what what does a draft board really look like? Could there be a possibility of maybe reducing the draft from seven rounds to three, kind of like baseball? I, I wouldn't rule it out of possibility. I mean, just from my my perspective, how I'm going through it is we're just attacking what we can and what we can control right now. You know, we're going through the film from last season. We're basing a lot of what we're doing right now early on uh, at the NFL Draft Bible. Like I said, we are we do have a database where we're actually communicating with a lot of uh, pro liaisons and, and um, you know, director of, of, um, of uh, player personnel at different schools to, to really get as up-to-date info on players as possible. But it's such an ever-evolving world, right? We weren't, we weren't prepared for this. So we're learning as we go. We're trying to just take it one day at a time. We're relying on the film we have. And if things don't materialize the way that we need it to and there's not a season, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be objective to that being a, a reduced thing um, as far as the amount of rounds. It, we can only, you know, verify what we can verify, right? So uh, it's, you know, I'm just trying to go about it every, a, a day by day, remain hopeful, and then, you know, just it's an ever-changing world right now. It's so much uncertainty. I, I feel like I'm just trying to control and work in, in general trying to control what we actually can control right now. Trevor Lawrence. If the draft was tomorrow... He's probably going to be the mm-hmm. first overall pick. What is the drop-off yeah. between number one and, and say, the second-best quarterback? Second-best quarterback. Um, I, I think it's pretty substantial from, from my viewing. I mean, the top three guys right now that are assumed, and it's going to be an interesting conversation because, obviously, we have Justin Fields from Ohio State, and then Trey Lance is the guy from North Dakota State who's only going to be a redshirt sophomore playing FCS football, so there's a remarkable conversation that needs to happen there, whether he's going to declare early. I mean, to my knowledge, that has never happened before on the FCS level. But for me, the drop-off is Tier 1 is Trevor Lawrence, and then the Trey Lance, Justin Fields is kind of the second tier of quarterbacks, and then there's a pretty extreme drop-off after that. But for me, that Tier 1 to Tier 2, Trevor Lawrence to those two guys, it's substantial. Uh, You know, we're, we're Every, I saw a great quote yesterday. We, every time we have a underclassman quarterback who's not eligible yet, who looks like the next big thing, you, you make him God, right? So when people go back and watch <laughs> Lawrence's film, yeah. when they go back and watch his film, they're thinking, you know, oh, wow, there's a lot more flaws than we, saw, than we thought we might see. But, you know, then you have to kind of take it back a second and say, the kid's 20 years old, you know? So he's 6'6", 220 plus, athlete can make every throw on the field. I think Trevor Lawrence is head and shoulders in this quarterback class, and uh, I think that he is deserving of every billing and hype that he's received so far. Okay, there are two pretty well-known quarterbacks that came out this year and still haven't played a game in the NFL yet, and then there's Trevor Lawrence. So basically, if you can, of those three, um, who kind of rank them or like place them in the order of these three guys who you think will, will have the best NFL careers from here on out. Joe Burrow. Tua, it, we're kind of assuming that Tua is healthy. That was kind of probably why he, he may have not been number two or maybe dropped a little bit, maybe not even been in discussion for one. I don't know where you had him stacked up with Burrow. And then, and then Lawrence, those, mm-hmm. these three guys that could be, you know, big future um, franchise QBs, do, are, who are you highest on? Who are you lowest on? Um, kind of 
talk about these three because I know these these two quarterbacks in particular this year are the ones that we've been talking about, and how do they stack up with Lawrence? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're I think they're all right, uh, pretty close together. Joe Burrow's season was you know one of the most biggest turnaround seasons from junior year to senior year I've ever seen, and it's something where. It, you're comparing him to Tua, and then obviously the injury comes into the play, obviously. Um, so, But if, if we're taking that out of the equation, I think the argument between the talent level, or I shouldn't even say talent level, the, the uh, on-field acumen of these two players, the, the, the Joe Burrows and the Tua Tagovailoa's, it's close. I think that it would have been a really close quarterback battle to see who would have been number one. I probably would have slightly still stuck with Joe Burrow in that conversation, but I think on a talent level, it's very comparable, and it's kind of a pick You know, who's your style, style, which one do you prefer type of thing. When you're comparing them to Trevor Lawrence, I think if Trevor Lawrence is in this past draft, even being 20 years old, I still think he's the number one overall pick. The, the upside is just so tremendous. But for me, if I'm taking the, the, um, if I'm taking the, 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 the uh, injury out of the equation completely, and I'm just evaluating them off of potential success. The, the tough part about it, obviously, is it's, it's extremely difficult to, to predict how well a quarterback's going to do on the next level without knowing what his surrounding cast is going to be, what the coaching around him is going to be. So it, it, I, mean, I always say it, it, I'd rather rank a quarterback after I see where they land, you know, because it it's really is so heavily dependent on the people around him. Mm-hmm. But for me, if I'm just doing this blind, I would say Trevor Lawrence to whatever position that he or whatever team uh, ends up taking him. And then I would actually go to a second and Joe Burrow just because I trust what Brian Flores down in Miami is building. If he's able to stay healthy, I love Tua. I love this film a lot. Joe Burrow's film is incredible. But Zach Taylor, uh, the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, I am not 100% sure about. There's still some the offensive line issues over in Cincinnati are appallingly bad. It's probably the worst offensive line in the NFL. It's really, really bad. AJ Green might be out the door. So a lot of question marks. I, I still am hopeful that that Joe Burrow is able to ascend and and be that quote unquote franchise level quarterback. But there are some some definite hurdles that he has to navigate here, even on top of obviously being a rookie quarterback on the NFL level. Sticking with the quarterbacks, Gino's going to like this question. And it's on the other end of the spectrum from guys who were just drafted or about to be drafted in 2021. I know you're really high on number nine from USC. Talking about Kidon mm-hmm. Slavis. Keaton. Yes. Keaton, Keaton it's not Kadon. I give him. I'm gonna give him like the Devon White. Keaton's name, yeah. like Devon White. You know, yeah. Kadon. I'm gonna I, give him the Kadon. I like, I like Kadon better anyway. Mike. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Desert Mountain High Football Factory out of Scottsdale. He had one of the, I mean, a dream of a quarterback coach in Kurt Warner. I've actually represented mm-hmm. guys from Desert Mountain High, so I know and he wasn't even that, really that highly. He was. I think he was no. only a three star. Yeah, he wasn't even like super yeah. highly touted. This guy puts up 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns. I know you're super excited about him. What, what, what do you see on film that impresses you, and how do you see him kind of maturing along the way? Yeah, I, I am in, I, man, number nine for USC, and this hurts me as a Notre Dame fan, actually. I love the signal caller for USC right now, man. Slovis, he has... 
I'll tell you what, the, the thing that really takes me off guard is I don't know if he's 18 or 19 years old, but I know he's very young, and the, the just poise that he plays with, the technical side of everything, he stays on platform consistently. He's always nice and tight. Everything is just so fundamentally sound on a snap-to-snap basis, which is so weird for a player's age. And then, because I, mean, I watched the film on him for a couple games just because I'm, I'm a psychopath that wants to watch a guy that's not even <laughs> eligible for two years, right? So I'm yeah. watching him, and I'm like, all right, man, I love this guy's film. He has some legit arm talent. He makes some bucket throws down the field that are absolutely absurd for a player his age. And then I find out that Kurt Warner is his quarterback coach, and I'm also a Rams fan, so Kurt Warner was my guy growing up, you know. So it, it all just started to go full circle here. I have uh, Keaton Slovis for president, a part of my uh, a part of my little bio here on Twitter. Even man, I, I, I can't be higher on the kid. I don't want to predict, you know, number one overall pick two years out, but hey, man, if that guy's able to build off of the platform that he's already. Um, really cemented i mean because everything he's just so compact and so smooth and so consistent which again for a kid his age it's it's absurd it really is i can't believe how fundamentally sound he is for a guy his age and i'm just so excited to continue to see him play and especially this year obviously the full offseason has a start even though it's a reduced offseason it's not probably what he would have liked it to be he's got guys like Amon ross st brown coming back tyler vaughn's um, the left guard, Vera Tucker, is a good player. So I think there's some pieces around him, and I'm just really excited to see how well he matures this year and if even physically he's able to get a little stronger to even improve that arm strength aspect of his game. Just to give you an idea of how impressive he uh, he was last year as a as a true freshman uh, coming in, um, he – J, uh, JT Daniels for USC was literally like supposed to be the savior. He was supposed to be the next quarterback coming. He graduated from college a year early, you know, just to come into mm-hmm. USC a couple years ago. And then last year when he gets hurt and Keaton has to step in, JT is already transferred. He didn't even think about coming back and trying to battle for his job back because he knew that he had no shot. Th- this kid just stepped yep. in and absolutely ran with it. So a guy that that literally changed his whole life, graduated from high school a year early to come in and be a starter for USC, started as a true freshman, which you just don't see happening at USC at many colleges really, you know, anymore. I, I, this kid is, is unbelievable. I, I kind of had a, some, uh, some tweets and, and Facebook posts, just like you were, you're saying like in Keaton, we trust and stuff all throughout the year because he just <laughs> stepped in and nobody even knew who he was. We're going when JT goes down as USC fans, we're going, uh Oh, uh Oh, and this kid just really opened our eyes. And and what's been, as a USC fan, um, I know you said you're kind of on the opposite side, you know, it's been definitely a down you know, decade or so. Things aren't going great. It's always nice when you get a little bit of hope with a young kid like this who might be, who's going to be around for a couple more years. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I know it hasn't been a great ten- tenure under Clay Helton, but man, there is some legit talent. I've, I've scouted a bunch of USC and, mm-hmm. you know, on top of Slovis being the real deal, the St. Brown kids, extremely talented. Tyler Vaughn's very talking, like I said, on defense, great. Uh, the linebacker, I'm not, I'm not even going to try to butcher number one's name, but you have him and you have those two safeties um, who are really talented football players. There's a ton of talent on USC. The two defensive tackles I even mentioned, Jay Tufeli. I mean, there is so much talent on that USC team, man. I just, I just hope that whatever the coaching decisions are, um, ultimately, moving forward is best be able to really maximize their potential. Because I mean, as a, if you, if I was a USC fan, 
having a kid like Slovis for the next two years, if we're able to continue to put, you know, potential four or five-star recruits, because, I mean, when I grew up, you know, it was USC pulled up all those five-star kids from, from California, mm-hmm. you know. I, I don't know if that's kind of still been the trend, but if you go back, and it was my favorite game I've watched so far this offseason, Slovis' game against Stanford last year, that was, oh, yeah. he made three or four, like, high-level difficulty throws that, I mean, guys, going into the NFL and guys in the NFL aren't, you know, consistently making, and he's making it 18 or 19 years old. I would be so pumped if I was a USC fan. I'm pumped just talking about him. So Yeah, I love it. Love <laughs> That's it. Good stuff, man. So uh, let our listeners know how they can follow you on social media. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so rise, the letter N, drafts on Twitter. Um, follow everything while I'm plugging, you know, NFL Draft Bible, uh, TD, TDDR underscore draft room is where I do a lot of my writing. And then I'm also a draft co-host, I believe, podcasts on there as well. And if you guys don't mind, I really want to plug just one thing we're doing for NFL Draft Bible real Please quick. Please do. Uh, we're, actually, we're actually starting a couple courses. Uh, we started with Brian Baldinger, which is starting up very soon. But there's one new one that I'm really pumped about. And I think David Turner has been on your show before, if I'm, if I'm correct about that, Mike. Yes, he has. And, yep. um, yeah, so we're doing a lot of work with David, who's a tremendous um, asset, obviously, to the company. He's a great guy in general. And uh, he has 20 years of NFL experience at, in the scouting departments of teams like the Raiders, the Panthers, um, the Giants, the Miami Dolphins. Like, he's been all over the place. He has been in those, um, in those scouting rooms. And we're starting a course starting the 3rd of next month that's going to run every three weeks. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to me, again, at Rise and Draft, I can provide you with additional info or at NFL Draft Bible. But it's going to run every three weeks. It's, it's going to be called Friday Night Scout School, where we're going to do 9 Eastern to 10 Eastern every night, uh, every third Friday. And it's going to run like a course. So we're going to sh- bring you into the, into the film room with a guy who's been doing it for 20-plus years, we're going to talk ball. We're going to show you what we're looking at, how to break down film, how to write scouting reports, talk about trends in football, take a look at some of the legends. We're going to do it all. We're going to provide it for you. So, again, Friday Night Scout School, a part of the NFL Draft Bible, is something that you definitely want to take a look at if you aren't signed up already. That's good stuff, man. And that's Baldy from the NFL Network. So you got some uh, firepower yeah. there in terms of uh, the people that you got running the ship. We got we got to go, but I want to share a really quick story because you're talking about butchering names, and I'm kind of uh, sure. the king of it because just from you know being around so many scouts, they only go by the jersey number, so they kind of got me into that habit of the jersey number, right? So there was this guy from mm-hmm. Ole Miss that I was uh, scouting, and then started talking to recruiting. He was number seventy four. Talked to this guy. His name was Mike. Talked to him a bunch of times was only three years later, four years later, I didn't get him. I was one of the finalists, by the way, but it wasn't until years later that I found out that that's the same guy that they made a movie about. His name was Michael Ower. <laughs> so, uh, Michael Ower, you know, yeah. I, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's easier just to go by the jersey numbers. But, hey, man, pleasure having you on board, Thanks Ryan. We'll lot, definitely man. have you again. That time kind of whizzed by. And um, be safe. We'll talk soon, man. You too, you too guys. Really appreciate you having me on for a little bit here. Definitely. Gino, we are really late for the break, so let's take a commercial break. We'll come back and talk Belmont with Uber Capper Ella Star.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Oh, big thank you to our first guest, Ryan, for talking some... Uh... A lot of Keaton. I didn't think we were going to be talking Keaton Slovis today. I was excited about that. I'm like, I know, yeah, man. Glad you steered the conversation that you way. You know, I kind of miss miss football. Is, is kind of the uh, the overriding kind of thought here. Is you know, I miss I miss football. I miss team sports. I miss just talking about this stuff from an X's and O's perspective and the scouting perspective and wins and losses. You know what I mean? It's like so. It's kind of refreshing when we uh, get to kind of go back to last season and think about that game against Stanford, for example. But he's a tremendous talent, man. He's he's, he's the real deal. Very excited about him. We've been lucky that in uh, in one particular sport – we haven't really been like fully shut down at all. It seems like there's a, there's at least been a couple tracks that have been open, and now we are back to the point where almost all of the the major tracks around the the country and uh, North America are yeah. back opening up. So we have a big weekend with uh, the rescheduled Belmont. You want to introduce our first guest so we can talk about that big race? Yeah. So our Ella guest. Star, yeah, second guest, uh, first horse racing guest though today, right? Uh, Ella fun. Star, he is a very uh, well known handicapper in the horse racing circles and been around for a long time. He is a tremendous handicapper. Also provides strategies. What I like about him, you know, maybe you, doing the yeah. place, yeah, the place exact strategy, things of that nature. He's the national race racing analyst for Equibase. Ellis, good evening. How are you, my man? Hey, Ellis. Good, e- good evening, Mike. Good evening, Gino. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. I'm uh, excited. Yeah, Belmont's still in June, so that's good enough. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. It's still in the same month that uh, normally is. Hey, but before we get into the nuts and bolts of it all. You know, there's a lot of people that are a little bit dissatisfied with the card overall and, and the, uh, you know, field sizes. What are your thoughts about it? And why did it kind of end up like this, do you think? Where are all the horses at? Well, same thing happened at San Diego, San Diego Derby Day. And what happens is when you run a lot of stakes, 
in various divisions, three-year-old sprints, three-year-old routes, turf sprints, turf routes, turf everywhere. Right now, since there was so many big stakes canceled, uh, there are two or three stakes in each kind of division, most of the major divisions, not two-year-olds yet, where they ran Santa Anita on the 6th, they're running here, running at Churchill, they're running at Monmouth soon, other places. So some of these divisions, the trainers can pick and choose. You think there's going to be eight, nine horses? You can duck it. And at San Diego, the same thing. All the stakes were at five and six horses. I mean, I'm looking at the Woody Stevens has five, and I think that's what you're talking about. The, the Nine Ridge has seven. But there's three-year-old mile turf races at other places. And San Diego's got a big card. Also, they got three turf stakes. And I think that's what it is. It's just less horses overall, which has been a big issue. A lot of horses just got back to training. They, they're gearing up for the summer, Saratoga, and the fall. They don't need to run at late spring. And especially in certain types of divisions, like I said, uh, they can duck one race for another. And it'll end up being that the same two seven-horse fields instead of a 12-horse field, well, I mean, to the trainer and the owner, that's better for them. It's not better for the better. The better doesn't like short fields. And that's and what's you, happening. That's what happened. You know, another thing we saw too, uh, Ellis, I think because of all the uncertainty over the last few months and so many tracks had to cancel their stakes races and we we didn't have schedules set up of stakes down the line. I mean, still we're still rescheduling stakes on the fly at a lot of these racetracks. We ended up, how many of those races at Oaklawn or early at Churchill or at Gulfstream when there weren't many tracks? I mean, we would see these first level, second level, or like open allowance races or these small overnight stakes that were as strong and deep as these graded stakes. I think there were even some horses that they 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 needed to run somewhere and they didn't want to just wait. So they figured, let's run while there's an opportunity to run because who knows what's going to happen in a month or two. And I mean, if we just turn back the clock a month ago, there were some deep, deep races at, you know, before Oaklawn closed at Churchill. And I think now we'll, we'll probably see these horses get running again soon. But you mentioned everything's been so in flux. Their schedules, some horses weren't in training. It's just it's kind of been like a perfect storm of bad in order to get these small fields, I think, the last few weeks. Well, and shipping didn't help. The problem is because of Churchill, for example, mm-hmm. they had shipping dates from certain tracks and they may be open for stake shipping. But I don't think you can still, still ship willy-nilly into a track. You can't ship from Delaware to Belmont. You can't ship at some of these tracks. Horses are pretty much staying on the grounds. And so that's another reason why somebody's not going to leave New York to run in a race at Churchill, and somebody's not going to leave Churchill or Florida, or even when Louisiana ended, they came here, they went to ship to run in a particular race. And however that race turned out in terms of the entries, that's the way it is. And that's one of the things we're going to see. The good news is, there's enough good races, but as you say, there are some five and six and seven horse fields in races that wouldn't have been as full. Now, on the other hand, tomorrow's uh, turf mile on 16th at Churchill, I think, has or Saturday, has like 11, and the Belmont drew 10, and one of the races at Santa Anita has 10. So the good news is better is to pick their spots, which is what I do for like the blogs I do when I'm trying to look for stakes races or high-level allowance. And then to your other point, a lot of that money didn't get spent. So I, mean, I do a race every day for Woodbine. And Woodbine's not really running stakes. I think they start running their first stakes on Saturday. But they've had at least two races a day on Saturday and Sunday with a $110,000 person. So those would attract the same horses you'd get in a grade three and grade two mm-hmm. if the yep. meet had started in April like it normally would. That makes a lot of sense. So you, you said it. 
picking and choosing. That's what it's all about. Before I get which races you want to focus on, you know, traditionally the Woody Stevens has been one of my favorite races. This year we have a five-horse field. There are other really quality races as well where you have five or six-horse fields. Before we get to the actual races and strategies that you want to dive into, are there any singles in some of these small fields for the horizontal players? Maybe we could build a ticket around, you know, a no parole or, you know, what, what are your thoughts about some, you know, best bets, if you will? Well, here's my problem, to be honest. I haven't looked at the whole card yet. Uh, I, okay. did the, I did the Acorn, the Jiper, and the Belmont. Uh, I'm going to be on the ABR broadcast at, uh, talking about the Jiper and the Belmont for a half hour on Saturday that they do a live stream. And I haven't looked at them. I will say that what Belmont did, which is interesting, a lot of times they put a race that you call a so-so race in between two stakes. And I haven't looked at it. But that's what I would do. For example, the Wonder, again, has five horses. And after that is a 12 horses with four eligibles on the turf for New York Bread Allowance. That's not a great bet race, but it's a great race between two races in which you have a couple of horses. Um, I'll talk about a pick three briefly with the, in this sequence, but other than that, there's in that late sequence in the eighth, ninth, and tenth, there might be a single in the first leg, but other than that, not really at this point. Um, and then the earlier ones, I would say just for basic strategy, you find a horse in one of those five or six horse fields, and you basically take six or seven in a race around it. So just as an example, the Woody Stevens, as you said, which has uh, five, and you know, there's going to be a pretty heavy favorite, probably in Echo Town. He's nine to five on the morning line. I haven't looked at it yet, but you know, you could go take six or seven horses in the first race, and then single, and then take two or three in the next, and do that kind of thing, and just have some fun. The issue at Belmont is for a lot of folks, the, the pick three has a dollar minimum, so it's a little harder to structure a ticket because you can't play 12 and $20 tickets. You're playing 25 and $50 tickets. So you have to be careful and make sure that money is separate from your other bankroll. Makes a lot of sense. So which are the races that you want to plug into here? I know you said you're going to talk about some of them on ABR Live. Uh, let's, you know, d- dictate where we go. And uh, for well, everybody out there, it's a good time to get your I mean, pen and paper I'll, out. I really want to start with the Belmont because that's the yep. one everybody's looking forward to. And I think it is. I don't, I don't think it's all about the favorite to the law. I agree. You know, he is yeah. arguably the leader at this point, And he's the leader in this race for sure. Uh, Honor AP ran big at Sandy Derby. And there's really nothing else. The top two horses in the country right now. And he's just kind of getting in a race every six, eight weeks, 10 weeks. And, you know, he's going to keep going until the Derby has, Unfortunately, some of the other ones fall by the wayside. I, I kind of like your one of your earlier points um, too. It's like we—he's the by far the most accomplished horse in this race. There's no no getting no doubting that. It's just if you're—and I'm not someone who who is like blunt, like plays solely off of num, um, speed figures and numbers. But generally, when we have a horse who's going to be probably as overwhelming a favorite as he, they're more of a standout on you know your your speed figures and your numbers. And he definitely is not. Um, he he's not isn't tower over this field. Really, by any any way, shape, or form, just based on figures, he's he's won pretty easily and pretty impressively, and he's done very little wrong. But if you 
get away from him. I think the next tier of horses who will probably be like the second, you know, tier and betting choices, you can really make legitimate cases for, I think, three or four horses to, to jump up and be right there with him and beat him. Well, that's true. I, and I'm going to do that because there's value. It, a horse could be a lot less probable, but you'd be such big odds that you mm-hmm. would kick yourself if he won you and bet some money on him. But mm-hmm. regarding two of your points, one thing Law does have going for him, and I said this in my Dissar Race of the Week at Equibase, is he has what's called double advantage. Double advantage is when a horse's last two speed figure, which is a numerical measurement of time, are higher than any speed figure of any horse in the race, period. And maybe, I mean, I look at different figures. I think Tap It to Win may have a little higher figure than the, the second highest of Law's for the most part. He stands out in that regard, and, I, and he could have gone faster in the Florida Derby, arguably. Yeah, he definitely because, could have gone gone faster in both, and in a couple of yeah. his wins too. Yeah. So in that case, in that case, he would have got a higher buyer and a higher echo base. He's got a one seventeen and one twelve echo base number. I'll use that for reference. He could have one seventeen and one seventeen, and the best in the field is one hundred eight and one hundred seven. Now, I'm not all about figures, especially with three year olds. I'm about patterns of improvement, and so you know he's tough. Then it becomes a betting discussion. So if you think Tisla Law is a legitimate favorite. Certainly, if you see some horse that's got value, you want to make a bet. But if you also don't want to lose everything, I mean, some people certainly are very risk tolerant, and you say, okay, I'm going to bet 100 bucks, and if he wins, he wins, and I lose. Otherwise, I'm going for 1000 You could say, you know what, I'm going to play some wagers to make money with him winning, just not betting to win. And that becomes the argument you make, and I kind of find the middle ground here. So with, with this kind of a feel, there are some horses that are, that are still improving that could be this good. I had an argument, a discussion, debate with uh, one of the DRF riders who I'm friends with, and I mentioned the horse I'm going to talk about in a minute, four left, and I said I couldn't believe he was 30 to 1 on the line. And he said, what did you expect? And I said, well, first of all, and I'm not faulting David Aragona's morning line, and for those who don't know, I want to make sure everybody understands, the morning line is a prediction of what the odds will be when the field goes in the gate. Not, it uses the same handicap effect as we do, but that's the basic thing. And I think... I think Farmington Road should have been 25 and not 15. I think Pneumonic should have been 12 or 15 and not 8. And I think Dr. Post should have been about 8. And Capita wins probably right. Sol Volante is definitely right as the second choice. And I think Ford Left should have been about 12. And we had that discussion. And I said, I don't make a good morning line, but that's, you know, what I, I think they underestimated this horse. And I, I think it'll be bet down because people like betting long shots. Um, so, you know, when you tie a horse like Chris Law with a, a decent horse like Four Left and the logical contender with Sol Volante, I think you could actually make some money if you get it right and you still have it covered at least to break even. And this is where people you know, yell at me sometimes on Twitter where I say, well, if the low end is break even and the high end is 5X multiple, I'll take a bet. And they say, you should always go for the 5X and leave out all the crappy combinations and I say okay well a lot of people don't have the bankroll for that and that's not what they want they want to cash tickets so I try and find that middle ground hey, you know Ellis I really liked your explanation for the double advantage for those who have not heard of that before kind of in a s- similar elk I always kind of gravitate towards younger horses that have shown improvement in each of their races speed figure wise and at least from mm-hmm. a brisnet perspective I know that's not equibase I apologize about that Max That's Player right. kind of fits, you know, Max Player kind of fits that mold. I know Linda Rice hasn't gotten off to a really hot start so far in this meet, but you know her numbers will will, will be there. And she's, you know, she's done relatively well with graded stakes winners. She's done fantastic with winners last race. 
so on and so forth. Joel Rosario picks up the mount. Dylan Davis rode last time, so we got big-time jockey upgrade. What are your thoughts about Max Player? Well, my, my thoughts are this. The three-year-olds still at this time of year are still young men. Uh, you know, I usually say at derby time they're 18 to 21, and they're probably all about the same right now. We're not that much past derby. And I don't like the five-and-a-half-month layoffs. You're, you're right about the figure pattern. No matter which figures you use, he improved a lot. Um, I know there were reasons why he didn't start State in New York and all the other reasons. But when you got horses that have run in June and May, for the most part, every one of these one ran late April and four left ran in February. And you got this guy in February coming back from four and a half months going even a one-turn nine furlongs against horses that have run more recently who doesn't have an edge in the pace department. I can't make the case he can pick up where he left off. It's physically not impossible. It's physically very difficult. I know you deal with a lot of athletes, Mike, and Gino, you understand as well with racing. It's very difficult for a horse to get fit to run in top company off workouts alone. It can be done. On turf, it's certainly done a lot. On dirt, it's much tougher. And so on figures, yes, I don't think he could possibly fit enough to compete even per second in this race based on the time loss. Ellis, do you have a few moments to stay with us after this commercial break? Absolutely. Okay, let's take a commercial break right now. We'll continue the conversation with the Uber capper, Ella Starr, right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to mike at the mikeabadirshow.com now back to this week's program Final segment on the Mike Abadir Show. We are here with Ellis Starr, and we're talking about the Belmont, uh, diving into the actual Belmont race. And Ellis, the you, you mentioned a horse that you, as a price, are going to be using at least in some underneath spots um, for left. This race 
the complexion of this race changed quite a bit this week when we found out that four left would be in here because this is a horse who has very good early speed. Um, he has some ability be- before the announcement of him being entered in this race. Many people were probably looking at tap it to win off of that really impressive effort when he stretched out as a horse who would be able to, to dictate this race and maybe take him as far as he can go. Things have changed a little bit now when you have uh, another speed horse in it. So how do you see this kind of unfolding with those two in here and talk a little bit more about um, four left and, and maybe some of the other horses that are your major contenders in this field? Well, I'm not a big trip and video guy, uh, except when I see something in PPs. But when there's mm-hmm. a foreign horse, almost every video is available on the Internet. And I found the video of the UAE United Arab Emirates 2000 Guineas, which was May 6th. And I just kind of asked Max Player for the layoff, but not four lefts, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second. But because four left does have pace. And he was actually a good two-year-old. Let me go back to something real quick, because this horse shipped out from Santa Anita last June after breaking his maiden at five and a half, four and a half furlongs. He shipped out one of stakes on the Belmont main track called the Tremont. And the only reason last June he would have shipped out to run in that race was to see if he liked Belmont. I can't think of any other reason why there's two-year-old races in California. Then he ran okay. He ran third in the best pal. He didn't run well around two turns last year in the American Pharaoh. And then he won another sprint uh, in California. And then he tried turf and he tried all weather, which is what trainers do when they don't know what they want to do with a horse. And then all three months, he shipped him halfway across the world. And I watched the race and 16 horses, and he got the lead and never looked back. He didn't have a big lead. It wasn't easy, uh, but he continued to run about the same way all the way around. Uh, very good time for that deeper track. And the horse that ran third came back to win a 12 furlong stake race next the next month. Then what O'Neill did, and I, I didn't know he just entered the race because he's been at New York for two weeks. He had a work at Belmont on June 4th and June 13th, so I would have suspected he was pointing for it the whole time. Maybe they were waiting to see. So you got a horse that has one over the track, it's working well over the track, that could have controlling speed. Now, the question is, tap it to win. It just wanted this uh, one-turn route, which is what this is, a, ra- a one-turn race. A route's a mile over, but it's one turn because Belmont's so big. And he did that. I don't know the tap of the win will be sent, uh, but I don't know that four left can't come from off the pace either. So the question then becomes value, and you're looking at a horse who's, I didn't know he'd be 30 to 1 if I was 15, who I think is getting good at the right time. We talk about patterns. There's nothing to suggest he doesn't have the class to run at this level, and he certainly has the pace to run at this level, and I'm taking a shot, and I'm not just using him under. Believe me, you know, I'm, I'm betting him to win, and then I'll use him in exactly and trifecta. I like playing. Uh, Mike talked about this. Yeah, Mike talked about this. I pl- I'll play an exacta with everybody over him because it's going to pay more than the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. But he, he's, he, I mean, he's my topic on value, my topic in the race, of course, it's just the law. We talked about him. And the other horse that really, the, between Tis the Law and this horse, Sol Volante, they have the bulk of the probability to win because Sol Volante could run all day. I mean, he's out of a King Mambo mare who produced a horse that won a bunch of stakes races in the Northwest at tra- minor tracks, but nine and ten furlong races. And when Biancone decided to put him on the dirt, he ran big, and then he won the Sam Davis. And then he ran second as a 50-to-1 shot. And then he, 10 days ago, he ran so well, they decided to run him here. Um, so he fit. So I win bet's going to be on both Solvolante and four left. Bigger on Solvolante because he's a lower price, but four left will still be 20-to-1. 
and then I'll box Sovalante and four left and the Law and Exacta. And I'll come back and play those three because I'm not going to leave four left out. I'm going to play those three over those three plus Tappet to win and Dr. Posto, I think, are next best. Um, I think it's going to be a hard case to make for Modernist, even though I like him in the Risen Star, a hard case to make for Farmington Road, a hard case to make for Pneumatic, and Jungle Runner doesn't look like he belongs in the race. So if you're writing down numbers, it's going to be 268 over 12689 for the Exacta and the Trifecta, cheap enough to play. And win bets on Silvalante and four less. And again, as you said, you know, it'll be interesting to see Jose Ortiz is riding. He's nobody's fool. Um, and I think the instructions will be to put him out there. If he ends up being second, tap it to win great. If he ends up getting the lead, even better. It's going to be fun. They, they could be winging it early. Maybe they just pick and choose how to sit. Sometimes in New York, they end up just kind of letting somebody go up front. I, I don't. I, I can't imagine either of these two want to really let the other one one go. So it, and, and then maybe in situations like this, everybody kind of takes back, and those two just kind of separate. Maybe run them, run them off their feet. It's a great great opportunity to take a swing because I think just based on like reputation. Tis the law is is feel like a lot of people feel like he's the the one of the top tier horses and he's been a horse that we've known for a while now. He's really been the only consistent horse like from two to three that's been right at the top and and really held his form. So he's and he's kind of the only one that's been able to kind of hang around with the attrition of the Nadal charlatan, you know, Maxfield, some of the others. I think. This is a great race to take an opportunity, not necessarily completely against him, but at least what you're doing. If you're going to be using him with a couple other bombs to take a swing, I just don't think he's absolutely unbeatable in this spot. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I I think he's going to win, but it doesn't mean that something can't happen. There's such thing as a sure thing. And Tovalante is not a bomb. He's a second choice. If four left gets first, second, or third, it becomes a moneymaker. If Tovalante wins over to the law, depending who comes in third, it's a moneymaker. Uh, if Tis Law wins, then you break even and you lose a few bucks. But especially for pick threes, uh, I have to use those three horses in the race. And I might go five deep on a ticket, depending on what I'm doing in earlier races. So Now, you you'd mentioned a pick three uh, when you first came on. Is, the, is that the okay. sequence that you're targeting, or is there another one that kind of piques your interest? No, it's a, it, it, it ends the Belmont 8, 9, and 10. So in the 10th race, I would use those three. I'll go back with your Sovalante, four left, and Tis the Law. And there's one other ticket in which I'm going to use those three plus Tappet to win and uh, Dr. Post. Because in the first leg, which is race eight, which is the acorn, uh, on one ticket, a smaller ticket, or the one I'm going to go five deep in the Belmont, people understand, I'm going to use number two, Lucrezia. And in the other one, I'm going to use Lucrezia and the two favorites, Casual and Gamine. Um, I like Lucrezia a lot here. I'm hoping to get every part of 92 on the morning line. I loved her in the Suncoast. Uh, she was a key bet on one of my blogs that day because she's just bred to run all day. And she ran into a Swiss skydiver who came back to win the fantasy in the Sandy Oaks since then. I think she's better than these other two. Baffert's going to get money with Gamine's even money, which is ridiculous. So of course, coming off an allowance win. And Casual, who won pretty impressively and can at least rate, uh, is also usable here. So Lucrezia's a win bet in the acorn, and I'll use the one, two, and four in this pick three sequence. And with you with Lucrezia, I think, uh, you know, people see Swiss Skydiver and forget how, uh, you know, at this time, that win just looks so much better now after what we've seen. Um, really nice spot. And as you mentioned, you're going to get a lot of money from the other two. So I wouldn't be shocked if you get even more than that nine to two uh, up into like five or six to one if she just gets forgotten about a little bit and the other two get hammered. Um, any other yep. spots you want to discuss? So I just give out the middle leg and the middle leg, I'm using 
uh, on my main ticket, I'm using two Oleksandra, four Pure Sensation, and seven White Flag. And on the ticket that singles Lucretia, which is the only horse to use, then I'm also going to add Stubbins and Texas Wedge. Uh, this is an interesting race. The Jiper six furlongs on the grass, and Christophe Lamont, you know, is just a top trainer, as we know, and he's got a pair here in Pure Sensation and White Flag. And to my mind, they're just as accomplished as is Oleksandra. White Flag is uh, five for 11 uh, on in turf sprints in his career. He just had a bad year last year. He went 0 for 3. Before that, he had done anything wrong. He was five for 15, as I said, five for 11 in turf sprints. And he's run races good enough on the Belmont inner turf to win this. And Junior Alvarado writes a lot for Clement. And I think Clement wouldn't have him here if he was ready, and he's just better value. Pure Sensation's the one to catch. He's probably a lone front runner. Uh, he won this race in 2016. Uh, he's nine now, but he's still in good form. He went four for six last year. He's come back from a layoff. He fires fresh. And Alexander's a mare against the Colts. He gets a few pounds. Rosario and her get along so well. Uh, they won four, six races together. Uh, and she's also won on the Belmont Inner. Same thing. Last year, he shipped out from Santa Anita to run in Belmont in May and June. I don't know what he did with her after that. He took her to Woodbine in Saratoga. She won that race in Saratoga. And she won at Keeneland. She just prepped at Santa Anita. She's very tough here. So those are the three I like most of all, with little preface to white flag because of the price, but also Alexander and Tristan Ellis, we only have about uh, two or three minutes left. Um, let the folks know where we can follow you and, and plug some of the, uh, the places that you'll be talking or writing about the races in the next few days so we can get more information from you. Sure. Thanks a lot. Uh, well, Twitter is the best way. I don't do Facebook yet. I'm thinking about it. Or Instagram. Twitter is at Ubercapper, U-B-E-R-C-A-P-P-E-R. Just Google me. I'll start. You'll see it. Um, you can get, and I tweet all the blogs, but most of you can bookmark. I do a race every day for the Sandy to website, Woodbine website, Keeneland's website when they're running, and I do a weekly one race at Keeneland.com, and I do three or four races at Amwager.com. Everything's free. Nothing's behind a paywall. And then I'll be doing, as I said, uh, hoping to do I'll do the the ABR if you follow America's Best Racing ABRlive.com uh, Belmont Broadcast could be great it's going to be like a Periscope YouTube Zoom thing live I'll be on for half an hour from 4.30 to 5 and then uh, follow me because there'll be some stuff going on at Keeneland every day called Keeneland Home with Christina Blacker and some other podcasts that we'll be doing since you know being no spectators at Keeneland so we're trying to reach out to fans in all kinds of other ways and engage with them Good stuff, man. And take it from me, guys. Ellis's picks—they pop. <laughs> they they come through. So takes big swings. Yeah. We we love it. That's yeah. how you have to do it in this in this industry. Absolutely. You got to take, take big opportunities. Ellis, thanks so much, man. It's always great talking to you. Thanks, Gina. Thanks, Mike. Everybody has some good luck this weekend. Racing is back. You too. And hey, out the door here. Give me a quick yes or no. Do we see a triple crown winner in twenty twenty? In twenty, uh, yes, there's a lost days sound. It's quite possible. And and honor AP, well, he's not running in this race, so it's not going to happen. So the only horse that's running that seems to have a chance could be Law. But if somebody runs really big in this race, uh, the Belmont Stakes, it's possible if they stay sound and get the right preps in, they could win the Derby and Freakness in the fall. There you have it. Good stuff, Ellis. Thank you, as always, for joining us. My pleasure. That's good stuff, Gino. Uh, gets me amped up for this weekend. You know, after this conversation, I feel a little bit better about the uh, wagering opportunities. At first glance, I was kind of like, man, 
short fields. What's up with that? Usually this couple, is like a huge day, you know? But the, but the, you mentioned the Woody Stevens. I know we're getting ready to go. And they're, they're I think the inside four horses, any one of them could go favorite. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're legitimate. Well, I quickly mentioned the one. I'm, I'm going to single him. I know, you know, yeah, you're going to have a heavy favorite in that race. Yeah. But that's the only way to make money, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah, you take a stand and you move on. And uh, they tried to, to kind of, as Ellis mentioned, mix in a couple of the better betting races in with the better quality races of the stakes so you're not getting like short field short field short field so um nice show again mike uh thanks to our guest we had a lot of fun and we look forward to talking with everyone again next week absolutely and for those listeners who want to kind of go races one through 12 or whatnot for these cards check out uh, that's what g said i know Thank they'll you. be covering absolutely race by race thanks for listening everyone have a tremendous belmont wagering weekend stay safe everyone see you same time same place next week Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.